Today is Wednesday, May 3rd, 2023, and you're listening to the Ask a Christian podcast. I'm your host, Nate. So, <laughs> uh, who's a Christian today? Apparently no one. Um, get to that in a second. So, going off yesterday's podcast a little bit, um, you know, I, I was reminded, as you'll hear, of a Bible verse that talks about, you know, if you're basically persecuted for stuff that you should be persecuted for, you know, if you've committed crimes or you're a terrible person and you get called on it or get caught for it, well, what good is that? You deserve it. It's justice. But if you're, like, demonized for things that you truly are innocent of and you get uh, demonized for it, well, then, you know, glory to God. Good job. Um, you'll hear about that in a second. So, <clears throat> today's topics include a fair bit of that, a whole bunch of philosophy, and uh, then uh, some some dude, like, I don't know, I've been in one podcast, I've been called a not-Christian, I've been called a closet Satanist, and a Calvinist. <laughs> so, which which one is worst? Well, if I'm being fair, Calvinist would be least bad, because I guess we're still Christians. But, ha-ha, you get the joke. Um, so, yeah, this dude like comes in, he's like, because um, I had an interesting, you you can't see this if you're listening, but uh, I had this little PTR, it's a little profile picture, and it's got the little devil emoji in like the pink and blue like trans colors, trans flag colors, and uh, it has a thing that says, I respect your, Satan respects your pronouns, and I guess maybe there's a cultural difference because they're from a different country or English is not people's primary language. Anytime, every time I put up a P, uh, profile picture that I think is interesting and fun, um, everyone takes it completely wrong. So apparently, you know, I'm worshiping the devil or, or something. Anyway, it's funny because after talking a little bit, the guy who's accusing the Christians of not being Christians and being like Satan's servants or something, he starts dropping F-bombs, so I had to kick him. Um, so <laughs> anyways, can't say I didn't let him speak. So that'll be fun. So um, I guess that's all I have to say. And then after that fun, there's a, a whole lot of like deep philosophy stuff. Um, deep theology and things like that. So if that's your thing, you're going to love the last half of this podcast. Um, if it's not, um, you're going to be like me and tap out. <laughs> I like philosophy and deep theology for as useful as it is. And, you know, like the Brians, they study the scripture daily to make sure that they were on the right track and what they believed was right. Um, we're talking like so far beyond that. Like you're going to hear people talk about like, I, I don't know, um, first cause, mover movers, immovable stuff. Like, ah, it just gets too much for me. Um, repent and believe the gospel. That's the easy answer. More and more, I understand the people on the side of the road wearing the signs that are like, repent, the end is near. And and then they just rinse and repeat. So someone's like, well, who's the first mover? Who's the prime mover? Ah, repent and believe the gospel. Um, so just keep the main thing the main thing. Like this deep philosophical stuff, I guess it has its purpose to a point, but... I don't know. It seems like people, like, I'm always reminded of, like, 1 Corinthians at a point when the cross of Christ loses its power because people are so often, like, man's wisdom with this, like, deep theology and deep philosophy and, like, man's wisdom. And I'm not saying Christians are, I mean, you know, even Christians, you know, we can all get away. The point is, if you're not a Christian, repent and believe the gospel. That's the only thing you need to hear. Nothing else matters. Um, first mover, mover, prime mover, ontological, ah, repent. Repent and believe. If you are a Christian, uh, this stuff is fun. It, not for me, it's painful. But it can be fun to talk about this stuff. But at a point, remember to always rubber band back to the cross of Christ so it does not lose its power. Um, repent and believe the good news. So, uh, check out the Ask a Christian book available on Amazon. Check out the Ask a Christian store. Grab some t-shirts or something to support this podcast. Pretty please. And you can also donate uh, to just straight up support us and keep us going. Um, so, um, everyone have an awesome day. Share this link with your friends.
and people you don't like, maybe. I don't know which one's better. Share it with everyone. <laughs> See you next time. Okay, let me read something real quick. First uh, Peter 2.20. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, uh, you endure, it is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So I was thinking about this yesterday because something happened. Um, I, got a, I got a kind of, eh, it was one of those, like, it was in, quote, peace and love and kind of a, eh, but I really don't like you since uh, message behind the scenes after our conversation yesterday, because someone, you know, said they were homosexual and they were talking about, you know, how their mom thinks they're going to burn in hell and all this other stuff. And uh, we had this conversation about it. And uh, there's this person who, you know, we've recently met and um, they're, they're very much um, kind of the peace and love. They're like, I'm a Christian, but I also believe, you know, like trans spiritist and, you know, gay people, um, you know, God, God's fine with him and all that other stuff. Um, and they were listening and they kept trying to interject. I'm like, well, look, I, if you want me to lie to you, which I don't want to do, but if I wanted to lie to you, I'd say what the Bible calls sin is fine. But I don't want to lie to you. I have to be true to my convictions. So I'm going to be as amiable and polite as I can. But I, I'm also going to be loving enough to tell you what I actually believe. You can call me a liar. You can disagree. It doesn't matter. But if you really want to know what Nate thinks based on Nate's reading of the Bible, this is what it is. Um, so anyways, I'm like, look, man, homosexuality is not what's going to ultimately keep you out of heaven. It's, uh, you know, being apart from Christ. It's rejecting Christ. So like, if you stop being gay right now, great. That still doesn't mean you're going to heaven. There's like a billion other things you've done, like, you know, in your life that keep you out of heaven. Ultimately, it's a relationship with Christ. If you don't have that, that's what's going to happen. If you have that, you're going to be pulled to be more and more Christ-like and less and less like these things the Bible calls sins. You're going to be convicted. Anyway, so I said that about like I said that now, probably a little nicer even, if, if that can be. Um, but I'm like, look, the Bible says certain things are sins. That's just how it is. Um, that's it. I don't know what else to tell you. I don't want to lie to you. So um, after that, I, I got this kind of message uh, that read a certain way. And it was like, um, I don't think we could be friends anymore because, you know, you seem like a nice person, but I just cannot believe like, what I witnessed. Like, I can't believe you would demonize and cast people out like that. I'm like, whoa. I'm like, where'd that come from? I'm like, I don't, I don't necessarily know that if I, if I say, hey, look, lying is a sin. Or, you know, the Bible says homosexuality, adultery, uh, fornication, sexual morality, even straight people hooking up outside marriage is technically a sin. It's a transgression against what God says is good. So I, I don't know if I would equate that as casting someone out or demonizing them, but that's the way I read it. So it made me think of that, uh, it, you know, and everyone else on the stage, too, not not just me. I'm not the only angel here, <laughs> not an angel. But, uh, you know, everyone kind of had that same vein, like no one was demonizing, you know, the LGBTQIA BIPOC two spirit plus community. Um, we, we were just saying, well, look, the Bible says certain things are sins. And by the way, not everyone under that umbrella directly equates to a sin. Um, Anyway, so there's that. But, um, you know, the people who, who would be like, oh, I'm a homosexual. Is that a sin? Well, technically, the Bible says it. So don't be mad at me. I'm just parroting it. Um, anyway, so everyone, everyone um, was was kind of polite like that, but also holding the conviction of the Bible. So, um, you know, shout out to everyone. It made me think that, you know, when that's about like the nicest someone could possibly say, well, look, the Bible says this is a sin. So we're sorry. But this among like 600 something other things our sins. We've all done plenty of these things. Um, so yeah, it's not great. Don't do it. Um, anyway, so uh, I just wanted to make that point that good job, you know, to the people who were on stage yesterday, there's no nicer way you could have said that and still got some kind of anger directed, uh, directed our way. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to say, Chris, uh, I said three minutes, I'm lying. Um, we talked about, someone was talking about like where the Lord repented yesterday and uh, they, um, 
you would do a much better job at this than me because you've studied for like a thousand years. Um, but, you know, they're talking about the Lord repentant. I'm like, well, no, that's just like you'd say Jesus is, the, Jesus is the son of God. That's not the same way I would say I'm the son of my father. Like we say son for, for human words, but that doesn't mean exactly the same. Like I'm a human son of my human father. So when we say Jesus is the son of God, well, yes, but that has a little different meaning than son of a human father. Um, just like, you know, when it talks about, uh, the Lord repented, like that doesn't mean, you know, God was so sorry for what he did. It means God can feel sorrow, but God also knows what, what's going to happen. He wasn't by surprise. And I thought, you know, there's such a misconception around the word repent. Um, you know, I mean, because literally, I mean, you know, it means to change. It means to, to go the other way, to do a 180, to change your mind. So, but then also people associate that with regret and remorse. So I'm like, well, it, I mean, I could correctly say I repented from going to Walmart. I was on my way from Walmart and I repented. That doesn't mean I feel regret or remorse. That means I was going to Walmart. I stopped my car. I turned the other direction and I went the other way. So like, anyway, what are your thoughts on that? The, the, uh, the verse that talks about when God repented. Right. There's, there's all kinds of, of anthropomorphisms throughout the scripture of God. Um, you know, that he, you know, feels a certain way or that regretted making man, um, you know, in uh, Genesis 6, um, that he repents. These are all human characteristics that we apply to an infinite and unmoving God. Um, the doctrine of immutability is found throughout the scripture that God does not change. And logically, just, just purely logic on human reason, God cannot change. If he changes, he ceases to be God. And so and that's, I also, that's just what immutability means. And I also was thinking, I'm like, you know, it, it, people just, just take like the glass half full approach. Like everyone's like, you know, wide eyed and like, you know, happy, happy go lucky in the rest of the world. But when it comes to the religion and specifically Christianity, it's like people just like kind of pigeonhole the worst possible view. I'm like, look, have an open mind. Like if for no other reason than for people thousands of years in the future, we can see the interaction of what happens when the Israelites follow God and when they reject God, when they go after other gods, et cetera, et cetera. So we can see a dialogue. We can see a communication. So, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. God knew everything that was always going to happen. But when you use a prophet and you use like Isaiah or Jeremiah and all these people that constantly say, hey, look, Israelites, if you do this, then God will do this. If you turn, this will turn. And that, that way there's a dialogue. So it's either for their benefit or for our benefit way in the future. Can you imagine the arguments that would come if, since God knew everything that was going to happen, if he didn't use prophets and he was just silent, and like all of a sudden the earth just opened up and like swallowed whole camps of people? I guess they'd be like, oh, oops, well, guess we were doing something wrong. Nobody warned us. So it's not like God needs to hear his own voice. He knows what's going to happen. So uh, if for no other reason than, than utter silence, because then people would be like, oh, there's no God. God is completely silent. He doesn't care. He doesn't exist. So if God is like, yeah, I know what's going to happen, so I don't need to tell these people anything. I'm just going to, you know, let things happen. Then there would be an argument against God for never communicating with people. Um, <laughs> so, Chris, what, um, what uh, would you cite for a reason why your argument is, um, is the way it is? The author's intent type thing or like, to finalize this and we'll talk to some of the new people? intent and it would be systematic theology you know that we derive you know the character and nature from god of god from the scripture and we express it in systematic theology uh victoria you're next good morning do you have anything to say or are you just hanging out with us good morning oh i had another question that was like totally totally different from what we're already talking about so we're i'll ready. take that aside we're we're ready. 
new topic. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I've um, asked people this so many times, but uh, remember when Cain, after he killed uh, Abel, and um, and then God caught him, um, or sort of confronted him, and then to a point where he said, uh, don't give me such severe punish- punishment, people are going to kill me, and so on, and, you know, uh, so forth. Who are these people? Great question, Chris. <laughs> when Cain, like when Cain and Abel, like you're wondering like how the rest of the world got populated. Yes, I mean I've heard people say like it's the rest of Adam and Eve's kids, but then they would possibly be younger than like Cain and Abel, wouldn't they? I I, I don't see why that would be. I mean, you think about that for a minute, but why would they? Why would they have to be younger? Um. Um, because like um, after Adam and Eve were cast out, I think in Genesis three or four, it starts out with like, oh, Adam and Eve had like Cain and Abel, and then after um, Abel died, they had like Seth. But then again, I've heard people say like, it is those are the descendants through which Jesus came from, so that is why it was relevant and written down. But I've heard so many <laughs> different stories, so uh, I, I just wanted to pick your brains. Well, I mean, I mean, my thought would be that, I mean, that sounds fine, like, you know, the important people, because surely not, not everyone in every lineage, like, even if you look at the Gospels, like how it has the lineage of Christ, like, clearly, the people in Christ's lineage had plenty of other kids, but they weren't directly in the lineage of Christ, so they were never mentioned. Um, I mean, that would be my uneducated guess. And I don't see, I don't see why, like, I'm sure like, you know, Adam and Eve, they wouldn't, there was no way all their children could have been recorded. And I guess, you know, based on the lineage of Christ, there's no reason all their kids needed to be recorded. What do you think, Chris? I would agree with that. Does it um, say that they had more kids at all? even without naming them? Did it say, oh, they had Cain and Abel and they had like 20 more? Or does it only say they had Cain and Abel? It's implied you know, that I they haven't... had more kids. Because they, well, they, did, they definitely had Seth, right? So that's another kid. Okay. So they, Cain, Abel, and Seth are the ones they mention. Well, and they don't, and ancient Hebrew also doesn't mention ladies, like when girls are born. It's patriarchal in that sense. It never says so-and-so had a daughter? Well, I mean, I'm not going to say it never. It's just not emphasized. So, like, mm. obviously they would have had they would have had to have had daughters, right? Well, a, a, I mean, it, if you take it, it, it literally. At least in the narrative. Sure. I mean, I'm not Chris, men can get pregnant, you bigot. Seth could have got pregnant and oh, had a baby, Chris. Not obvious they would have had daughters because there are other interpretations that say there were just other people around and it's you know, it's an well, so I, well, I mean, it gets a little bit into, you know, your theological bent, but I mean, typically the, the Bible believing person, unless they make, you know, quite a leap, most of us are going to believe that, you know, most of you, every, every, well, because, I mean, you know, in the interest of never saying never, Genesis, I'm that, Genesis 5, 4, Genesis 5, 4 says King, that what? Adam begat the son daughters. It, it literally says it. So, sorry, I didn't, that was a poor connection. It says, that Can you say Adam, that again? Yeah. Genesis chapter five, chapter four, or verse four says that 
Adam and Eve begat sons and daughters. So they would have had to have at least two daughters and at least four sons. Oh, God. Um, Is there some, is there, is this guy blue worship the devil? Uh, I don't know. Let's, well, hang on. Let's find out. But uh, I guess we'll (laughs) We'll look at your your question, mate. (laughs) Maybe Nate does. Well, many people do, many devil worshippers are all over the place, but they just... Do you worship Eddie Murphy? Say that again. (laughs) Touche. Yeah, devil worshippers, they act like Christians or Muslims or whatever. They're all over the place, man. So you believe believe Muslims are devil worshippers? No, I said there's people who worship the devil. Oh, They don't respect God, so they try to act like they're religious people when they're not. Okay, okay, before we get on that, hang on, let's go in a little bit of order real fast. Uh, Vic, I guess Genesis 5-4, or whatever he said, answers your question. Like, clearly they had sons and daughters. Um, sorry, I'm not brushed up on Genesis as much as I should be. It's been a few months since I've read it. Uh, Haiti, did you have a new question? No, it said that begat sons and daughters. So, can I, can I ask the devil worshippers in the room a question? Hold uh, on, hold on. We're going to go in well, order. Well, also... I might be wrong. Hold on. The days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were 800 years after he'd begotten Seth and he begat sons and daughters. Okay, that's fine. And then Adam lived 930 years. So this is after Seth. But that, so if he had, so, okay, so then when, was it Cain who got married? He, no, he so, would have been dog, right? Yeah, because so the, if Seth was after him and then he begat daughters, Cain would be marrying much he he would have been like i don't know really old when he got married right because okay, daughter- no, it doesn't say then he begat sons and daughters it says and he begat so the idea uh, a lot of people is that genesis 5 is like some separate completely separate event from chapter 4 and chapter 6 it's really all together it's just that moses the writer or what we would esteem to be moses the writer He's just explaining the genealogy of Adam. That's what the chapter is about. He's explaining the genealogy of Adam. So he's adding that notation. Hey, by the way, Adam and Eve had sons and daughters as well. It's not saying, and then he began. It just says, and he had sons and daughters. Because keep in mind, he also had sons prior to Seth. Yeah, and Haiti, taking this kind of like worst case scenario, like I thank you for what you said, uh, dot. I don't know what to call you. What do I call you? I just see a dot for your name. What What is your name? Nate, you don't know by now. Oh my gosh. Oh, stop doing this to me. Who is it? Okay, anyways, anyways, it's Harold. Um, okay, so Haiti, the worst case scenario, I appreciate what dot said. Um, you gotta stop doing that to me. I'm never gonna get it right. But, um, Whenever I, I preface and you said most people, that's because sometimes, you know, people when talk about evolution or something, they will be like, and I usually present this case as a third option, um, will be like, well, look, there could be some kind of person, hominid, that doesn't have a soul or that could be fine or something like that, as long as there's not the existence of a soul. So maybe someone somewhere could take that route. But most people under the biblical, typical Christian understanding are going to be like all, all humans came from Adam and Eve. Therefore, Adam and Eve had to have had uh, sons and daughters. So if Cain had a wife. It came from Adam uh, from Adam and Eve because, of, uh, scripturally speaking, 
there would be no other other way for the population to for people to have a populated um, unless there's some mystical event um, or not none of that wouldn't even work. But what I said, so basically everyone's going to say it had to come from Adam and Eve. But Ryan, uh, I, I, well, I want to get to those new people. Um, okay, Ryan, but most Christians up? are not literalists, right? So maybe you just mean most literalists. Is that what you mean? Well, I, I think most Christians, as far as Adam and Eve, most Christians would be literalists. Like it's no. going to be like a, it, what? Catholics well, are. it's going to be. So, wait, no, I, I okay, so okay. Correct me if I'm wrong, but wouldn't Catholics even believe in a literal Adam and Eve? Like no. even like theistic evolution Catholics, do they not believe in no, a literal Adam and Eve? Okay, well, no. never mind. Well, what all I, right. What I would say though Point is that the definition of Christian must include a literal Adam and Eve because of something called federal headship and and penal substitutionary atonement. So the idea. The entire idea of Christianity stands or falls based on two factors, based on the resurrection of Christ and there being a literal Adam. If there is no literal Adam, you cannot, by definition, have Christianity. You can have Christianity light. You can have Christianity apart from the scriptures. You can have Jesus' teachings, but you cannot have classical Christianity. Well, I just learned something. I did not... Is that like an official Catholic doctrine, or do some Catholics believe in that, or it's taught like, no, Catholics don't believe that? Well, that's what I was taught in Catholic school, was theistic, theistic evolution and no literal Adam and Eve. Well, geez, that's rough. Uh, well, there you go, Haiti. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess most literal Christians, um, well, I mean, I guess all literal Christians. But uh, Ryan, what's up, Ryan? What's on your mind? Uh, what's going on? Thanks for bringing me up. Um, yeah, I was just uh, heard somebody talk about Genesis and Cain and Abel. And I was just curious. I searched this out, and I can't really find it anywhere. Who told Cain and Abel to give an offering unto the Lord? And unless Chris, Chris knows, I'm going to have to do a little bit of reading off the top of my head. I don't know. I mean, I does, know. does it say something like the Lord said or the Lord commanded or no, they did this unto the Lord? Uh-huh. No, because why I ask that question, because in Hebrews it says, you know, I'm just paraphrasing, but for the most part it says, and when he said, sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and offerings for sin, thou wouldest not, neither had pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Um, and Cain and Abel weren't under the law, but they yet were offering, they were given offerings. Now this isn't a stumpy thing, this is something I'm trying to really search out because I don't, you know, something I don't quite get and can't find. I hate, you know, not that I hate it, but... You, know, you search out scripture and sometimes you just can't find where somebody told somebody something. So I just didn't. Well, that's a good point. Okay, so hang on. What's the verse in Hebrews you're talking about? Uh, in Hebrews, it's Hebrews 10 8. And then if you look in Genesis, is what I was talking about um, in Genesis 4, where they, they gave offerings. No, I'm not uh, saying, for what? I'm not saying it's you a have... bad thing. That's not what I'm saying. Don't get me wrong. I'm just trying to figure out who told Cain and Abel to, to give an offering unto the Lord. Sure. Uh, Genesis 4, what? Do you have the exact verse? Uh, Genesis 4, 4, I think. It says, that enabled, uh, enabled he also brought forth, wait a minute, let me go to 3. And in the process of time, it came <clears throat> to pass, it came brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Enabled he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering. But unto Cain and his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth. And his uh, continents fell. Okay, so as far as Genesis goes, then 
like that doesn't really on its face need explanation. Your question is more about Hebrews when you said it mentioned something about the law, right? So like as far as Cain and Abel in Genesis 4, um, who told them to give offering? I mean, that could be something unsaid. Like, you know, they knew their parents got kicked out of the garden. Maybe they thought giving God a fruit basket would be a good idea. Maybe God himself, maybe an angel. So like, I mean, that could be any number of things, but your real question is about Hebrews, right? Like when he invokes the law, when it was supposedly before the law, that's your real question. People were given offerings, right, under the law in Hebrews, right? That's what they did, the blood sacrifices for sin. Um, and yet, at this time, there was, you know, if I, you know, I don't see where Cain and Abel sin. Well, it also doesn't say for sin, right? So, like, I mean, I give, like, when I give offering in a church, it's because I want to give. It's not because I've sinned. Well, um, you know, like, so, I mean, no, no, without I even. I get, yeah, I get what you're saying. I'm just saying, who told them Cain and Abel to give an offering? They, you're just saying that you're just saying that they random thought about just giving something to the Lord without even. I, I, well, yeah, I'm, I'm saying I'm saying without without even, uh, you know, just the first thought before I even start turning through pages. I'm thinking it would be perfectly reasonable to think they knew the history of their parents and maybe they thought it would be a good idea to give some stuff to God just because uh, maybe their parents thought it would be a good idea because they walked with God. They knew God intimately. Maybe they said, hey, guys, you know, you, you're going to have the success. You're going to have this field, and you're going to have this cattle, and you're going to have this land. Maybe you should give some of it to God. That's probably a good idea. Uh, maybe an angel visited them. Like, I mean, you know, the, not every single dialogue that ever happened in the world um, would be in the Bible. So my first thought is one of those routes seems per perfectly reasonable. Um, so it's not like they just they thought they would give to a God that may be there. Like, you know, they definitely were told from Adam and Eve, like, yes, we saw, like, we walked with God. We know there's a God. So it's not like they just thought, oh, maybe there's a God somewhere. Maybe there's something more powerful than us. Let's, you know, submit some offerings to this thing that maybe exists. As far as they knew, uh, you know, they were told this God exists. Um, so I think they're not just going to have a random thought to do that. Um, but yeah, either God himself spoke. Maybe they heard a voice from heaven. Maybe Adam and Eve told it. Like all of those seem perfectly reasonable. Which one actually is true? I don't know if there's a way to find that out. Yeah, that, no. I completely understand what you're saying. And that's kind of what, you know, we, we can, you know, hypothetically look into things and say, okay, maybe, you know, I don't want to read into it, but you know, for me, it's always search out the scripture to find out what those things are true. So if you and I have a thought or something like that, it's always like, Hey, let me search out the scripture to find out if, you know, what I'm thinking is kind of lines up with scripture. Um, I know Adam and Eve didn't give an offering that I know of. Um, so I just was curious, like, you know, and that makes sense. I can see what you're saying there. Um, you know, I just was curious if there's any scripture anybody's seen where, you know, I know that in other places God told them the, the way that they should do an offering, right? Especially with the bull sacrifice should be, you know, the first of the flocks, uh, should be, uh, without blemish, right? Without spot. Um, so God gave the order of things that, that he said, if primarily to me, it's like, if you're going to do these things, this is how I want it. I don't want it the way you think you should do it, which would be, you know, the, the third of the offspring and one that was, you know, defiled or one that had blemish. So, you know, we all know that that was a type of Christ coming too, but, um, you know, anyway, it was just a question I had when she brought Cain and Abel in the beginning. So I just didn't know if anybody had any info on that, but I mean, I think it's a good, I think it's a good question. Um, I, I don't, uh, yeah, Chris, unless you have anything to say, hang on, I have a better question. <laughs> Makai, I just saw your comment in chat. What would possess you to uh, think I'm factually speaking, not a Christian? Uh, Do I know you? Do know your Do you spirit, know your spirit kind of gives you away a little bit. Well, tell me about my spirit. Be my judge. Yeah, what very, have I done? What have I done? It just doesn't seem very genuine. Okay. I don't know. Maybe How? I'm wrong in it. Maybe I'm reading you wrong, but you know. Maybe I don't know. 
you tell me about hey. But I just got a question. You got too many jokes, Nate. Nate, I got I got questions. Changes. Yes, what's your yes? Yeah, it's time to change this to ask a ask a Satanist. Um, yeah, I got I got questions to ask a Satanist in the room. You ready? So my question is to all Satanists: How does it wait, feel? Who's a Satanist? No, well, wait. Are, are you like are... Def- definitely the blue guy? And your spirit still reveals you because you won't let me talk ever. You kind of just talk over me all the time. It's like okay, you're scared so... of what I'm gonna say. No, I'm asking clarifying questions. So yeah, well, you gonna go ahead. Um, it, you know, I have a feeling if you could, you'd probably burn me at the stake. Go ahead, Mackay. Ask yeah. the Satanist, even though no one has said you they're see, a you're Satanist. still doing it. Your spirit, your, your spirit reveals who you are. You can't, you don't even realize who yourself. Oh my, the Most people can't see themselves. I would normally drop you, but I'm curious. Go That's ahead. Ask your question. Stop whining. Speak. Yeah. So to the Satanists in the room, there's definitely one in here because he's next to me called Blue, um, and the ones that undercover ones in here as well. How does it feel, yeah, to like worship Satan or someone that actually technically hates you and trying to kill you? Isn't that low key like suicide? Well, Blue, since uh, I'm not a Christian, I apparently, and you're apparently a Satanist, um, I, I guess that question... Okay, so you're also a liar. Answer that, so Blue? You're, not, you're, you're not honest. You couldn't be a Christian. So you're also a liar. But, yeah, um, if that anyone could answer my question, he's a Satanist. Even the undercover ones. Like, how does it feel? You worship Satan, yeah, but he actually hates you, and he's, try, he's trying to end your existence. So you're helping him, which means technically... You're committing suicide just in a fucked up way because you're trying to fuck up everyone else before you kill yourself. Oh, okay. Well, we have one rule, and it's be respectful, and, you know, we don't like cursing uh, because I actually am a Christian who tries to follow Christ, and I really don't appreciate that. So um, congratulations, and uh, for the record, um, yeah, for the record, I, I, don't even, I don't even know what to say with that. Like, I would normally drop the guy, but I was curious, but, I mean, we're not going to have cursing. Are you proud of my patience, Nate? I, I think I, really I'm proud of a, I, I'm proud of a lot of us. I want so, to uh, that hang on, Mackay. By the way, if you're here, Mackay, this is what I would say. If someone says, Nate, why are you a Christian? I'd say because I place my faith alone in Jesus Christ, His death, burial, resurrection to save me and give me eternal life. I repent and believe the gospel, and I trust Jesus with my eternal security. So, if you say I'm, you know, a liar or a pagan witch or a Satanist undercover then fine. I am so glad Jesus will be my judge and not you. That's all I have to say. So peace be upon you. Try to keep it together in chat and don't like curse up a storm like you did in audio or I will remove you. I don't want to. I hate that. But, you know, don't completely lose it and start cursing and doing rants in chat, please. All right. uh, Who else was speaking? Haiti. As a car Karen atheist, I will point out it's mildly annoying when I'm accused of being a Satan worshiper. Uh, Christians believe in Satan. Atheists don't. So it's kind of dumb to accuse me of having some weirdo religion when I don't have a religion at all. So I'm just done. Haiti, I mean, but you're the undercover Satan worshiper. Yeah, that's right. Without I think he's even talking knowing about it. us. Silly. And even most Satanists are actually atheists. Um, I'm not saying all, but most. It's just like oh. some funny troll they do. Well, Blue, you were next. So, um, you know. I, I think he he saw the star and thought that was like, you know, the satanic pentagram, which I, I think um, that's not exactly what that is, right? Like, I'm not well-versed in my pentagrams, but that that's not like the, I don't know, pentagram and like satanic rituals. Correct? It's the Enneagram. It's the Enneagram, Nate. So could he just be wildly thinking you're a satanist because he thinks it's like the satanic pentagram or whatever? 
I, I was totally kidding. It's not the Enneagram, but I thought that was funny. Um, did he just assume my religion? Yes. That's true. Or your worship of Satan or something. Um, well, I mean, you know, he told me I'm not a Christian, so, you know, I don't like hearing that. But I trust Jesus, so, you know, I can take it with a grain of salt. Or in this case, a salt shaker. But yeah, Blue, what's on your mind? Without presuming your religion or lack thereof, um, yeah. What, what's, what, what's on my mind? Why do you have the devil picture? <laughs> now you're going to do it too? <laughs> I quit. I quit. I'm, <laughs> I'm going back. I, I mean, look at your profile picture. <laughs> so would you think from that profile picture that I am saluting the uh, Satan? Yes. Or would you think based on the rest of the picture yes. and the thing it says? Perhaps oh, there's another um, reason think, why it's there. I think you're saying, isn't it great you, you, that Satan... You have to know something about me. English is my second language, so I can't read English. I can only speak and listen. Okay. It's mocking the people who say that they want peace and love, and then what peace and love means, like, lives and dies with respecting of their pronouns and whatever name they want to be called. So, Would you respect I, my pronouns? I'll call whatever you want to be called. But the point is... Um, okay, I, I would the, like to be referred to pronounce as he, him, please. Sure. <laughs> uh, anyway, the point is, if we're talking about Satan who does not care about your eternal soul and wants the worst for you under the Christian paradigm, you know, the roaring lion going to and fro, seeking who he can devour, like that Satan, um, he does not want the best for you. Therefore, he will play your game, this very superficial, on-the-surface game, and call you what you want and be like, oh, peace and love on this very surface level uh, because it, it's it, it's irrelevant because you're missing the deeper truth of Jesus and eternal life through him. So if he can keep you distracted with pronoun nonsense that's taking over the world right now, then he will respect your pronouns and play that game because it's leading you far, far from the path of Christ. Are you assuming what Satan wants? Yes. And also what the Bible says. Satan that's wants. rude. Oh my gosh, you are a Satanist. Okay, as a Satan, I'm kidding. No, Maybe. I'm just saying. No, I'm just saying. Um, like all religions are writing books and trashing Satan, while he was the while he is the big one who ignored and never wrote a book. You know. Maybe he did, but God kept it from being punished. Or you could say the Gnostic Gospels. Maybe he wrote those. No, um, he chose to ignore it and just stay. Well, now you're assuming Satan. From how did Satan tell you in your rituals that he did not write it? I never or found a book for Satan. I found tons of books of God, and well, yeah. every book anything? they're saying bad things about Satan. But <laughs> he never replied anything? back. He never said bad things about God, right? You a Christian? Of course not. Well, I don't know. Um, I, I can't understand have what you ever have you ever read a, Have you ever read a book or studied a religion besides the Bible and Christianity? Then that's not insane. not academic <laughs> in an academic way. I never did. But in my free times, I try, you know. Yeah, so the point is, uh, under the, the Bible, what the Bible says, I believe the Bible is the word of God. So, you know, it does say some stuff about Satan. And this is first. This is like firsthand accounts, right? Like when, when Jesus says, I saw Satan. But every you know, story has two him. sides. Am I so, right? So, uh, I don't really want to be interrupted. Like, I, I will say. Oh, I'm sorry, not sorry. I'm not, uh, that's fine, that's fine. I'm not as perfect. Uh, I'm not a perfect person. So, you know, I'm feeling a certain kind of way on the heels of this day already. So uh, my temper may be a little, a, a little heightened. But I would say, to finish my sentence, uh, sure, there's two sides to every story. 
And if you look at Job, you see two sides. You see Satan wanting to do everything up to and including killing Job. So that's Satan's side. And then God says you can, you know, do all this stuff to him, but you cannot take his life. And that's God's side. So we, we get what you're asking for. We see both sides. We see a Satan side, which is evil and wants to mess with Job bad and harm him. And then we see a God side that says, well, you can do so much uh, and no more. Um, but then I would say from the Christian perspective, anything that's not the Bible is, for all intents and purposes, a book written by Satan. He just doesn't sign his name. Okay, I'm done. It's really... <laughs> okay. <laughs> if I had a fight with my brother and I told you what I did and I tell you what my brother did, did you hear both sides? Do you believe in God? If what you say is true. Yeah, they're not they're not brothers. Satan and Jesus are not brothers. Okay, me and my enemy. Blue, do you believe in we God? We had a fight and I come to Clubhouse and I tell all of you guys what I did and what my enemy did. Did you listen to both sides this way? If you're telling the truth. I don't really care about this. Do you believe in God? Unless the other person speaks up and then we can to be fair. I'm just trying to be fair. I'm not siding with anyone yet. Do you believe in God? I'm just saying. Blue, can you hear me? I just am I audible? Do you believe yes. in God? Um I pled the fifth. What, what? Okay. What? <laughs> Plead the fifth? Why? Are you from America? Okay, well, if you keep pleading the fifth, you're going to get to hear all about Satan's side because you'll have eternity to talk to him about it. Yeah, um, I, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be, I don't want to be harsh, but we've got to move on. Like, this is, this is painful. So I must answer every question I get or yeah, I will be right. muted. But Blue, yeah. I think you're putting God and Satan on the same level. It's like if you ask your wife what happened and she tells a story and then your child tells you a different story, you just say, well, my child has one version, my wife has another version. You're going to believe your wife, right? God has, yes. has, has dominion over Satan and everybody. They're not on the same level. And, and just True, for the record, I'm, Edie is an atheist. Yeah, yeah amazing. I'm, I'm, I mean, for the record, amazing I mean, logic Mackay, and reason. If you ask a cry, uh, ask Mackay, this is not a Christian room because there are no Christians here right now, according to Mackay. I'm a Christian. Yeah, me too, but not according to Mackay. Um, I'm I'm reminded of uh, of a, a line from a Jim Jeffries uh, comedy skit one time, where it kind of speaks to the whole thing you know, about the whole two sides of this. He's like, you know, you know, God wrote this, you know, God wrote this book, you know, we're only getting his story, and he he goes on to say, you know, to the to the best of my knowledge, you know, Satan never wrote a book. We don't know his side of the story. I th so I think the whole thing is very funny. Um, but I guess that's where I heard it. Yeah, it, it's it it is super it is super funny, but um, yeah, that's all I really had to say about that. Other than Haiti, I had a question for you. Is that your puppy? Oh, oh. Nash can't hear. No, oh, it's not. Your... It's not. I'll oh. uh, throw something in there too and say that he said that you know if his enemy he told you about his enemy and then you never got to talk to his enemy, how do you know which one is true? Is you can also observe. Yeah, you could say one thing, Blue, that, hey, you told me the story, and then I can observe the enemy to see if what those things are saying are true. Now, we know in Scripture that, that Satan, or i.e. Lucifer, did speak, and God allowed him to speak. And then we can see that he was a father of lies, and we can see that he was the accuser of the brethren. And that's how we know, you know, that God cannot lie. So he cannot be God, so he cannot be a good. So he has to be the opposite of God. Well, doesn't also say in, like, Titus 1 or something like that, where it says God can't lie? Yeah, yeah, that's why I say God is not a man that he cannot, or the son of man that he should repent.
So that's curious. So blue, why why don't you want to say whether or not you believe in God? My interest is peaked now. That's why you just answered. What? No, he didn't. He said he's interested. Yeah, no, to make people that's interested. Because he wants people. He wants to make people guess oh. or whatever. But I mean, but I mean, you know, it's kind of like. Did you ever read the? Oh goodness, what was the name, uh, Michael? I I put faith in you, that you're going to know what I'm talking about. Um, the the main character was Richard. It was from Terry Goodkind, um, or Terry Brooks. It was the um, the one with Richard, the confessor, the seeker. Do you know what books I'm talking about? No, I'm a bad person. No. Oh my gosh. Oh, okay. Well, Don't there's worry, like fantasy come. series from like it'll come to you. There's this fantasy series from the '90s. Um, anyways, but the point is, this main character, like, there's this evil villain trying to like mess with this guy and do all this stuff. And he's like, he like devises this plan and uh, it's basically to make him work through this labyrinth of mental gymnastics in order to like, you know, uh, get what he thinks he wants. But this guy is so just like not, not even of that mindset. So like when he gets faced with a choice, he's just like, oh, I have to do all this. No. And he just like skips the entire thing and goes the other way. And he's like, no, I'm not playing your stupid game. And the guy's like, but, but you'll, you'll lose. He's like, yeah, I don't care. I'm not playing your dumb game. Uh, anyway, that makes me think of that. Like, uh, not not saying you're dumb or anything like that, Blue, but just saying like I'm so uh, so not me. Like, you know, if people want to like twist and do gymnastics and keep people guessing, I'm like, all right, peace, I'm out, don't care. Um, anyways, <laughs> Daniel, you've been up here for a very long time. Uh, Daniel, what is up? Oh yeah, sure. Uh, <clears throat> so I have like a two part question about the fall. So from what I know, the situation was man and woman are placed in um paradise and they're given but like one restriction that restriction is hey you see that tree don't eat that fruit on this one and it turns out that the woman is deceived and bites the fruit eats it and apparently the man eats it as well um my question was my question is, what changed um, in the world after that disobedience? That's the first part. Like, what changed in the world in terms of um, well, yeah, just 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 what changed, and then I have a follow up. So, what changed when they ate the fruit? Yeah, so they ate the fruit, and the world changed. It wasn't just the idea wasn't just that uh, the the man and woman changed. Is that right? Yeah, I be- yeah, I believe everything like I will believe everything like started to die or decay, or you know that's that's when the Christian will commonly be like, well, that's when the fall happened. Therefore, like sin entered the world. Like that's why there's bad stuff now. Like uh, I believe you know, like you said, it's not just people. But, you know, I think that's why there's like, you know, natural disasters and, you know, things are not right. And, you know, I don't know, bad things happen globally speaking, not just because of humanity. Uh, yeah, Chris, you were saying something. I think you just said yes, but yeah. you to elaborate. I, was, go ahead, I can. Chris. I was just being trying to be short. Oh, OK. Well, go ahead, uh, Daniel. Part two. Yeah. So part two is this idea of federal headship. It's like um, even though it was the woman that was deceived and who did eat the fruit forbidden fruit um it seems that the culpability was upon the shoulders of adam 
that he that through him that is how sin entered it wasn't through woman it was through man the man that sin entered the world and these changes happened like natural disasters and decay and death and things like that and um it seems that the narrative is that Jesus through him there's some parallel right there's some like a inverse relationship where through Adam all all sinned and through Jesus all were <clears throat> or through Jesus there was some reconciliation for that can you speak about federal headship and I just have one last one I could Chris is our federal headship guy yeah Chris what about that so when Eve sinned it was fine but when Adam did it then things got bad yeah, after Chris, I think that's the question. Wouldn't say it was fine, but yeah, I, I would say yes. That is one hundred percent correct understanding, Daniel, of Christian theology, and that's actually fairly complex Christian theology. So, bravo, um, very good. So, yes, federal headship is found in Romans five twelve through twenty one, and what Paul is laying out is his argument in a larger argument is that through one man, Adam, death entered the world, death through sin, and that through one man, Christ, Christ pays for the sins of the world uh, through his death on the cross. And so um, this is, it is an inverse relationship. You are correct. I mean, I, I literally could not have laid out the argument better um, than what you said, Daniel. So that was very good. Now, what is your I, I kind of missed the question part of the, the question. What is the question about federal headship? Well, the question is going to be what makes it essential that there be one explicit man. For example, um, that sin entered the world through, and this has to do with like um, evolution. So, I mean, wh why would it have to be that sin entered through one man and then it had to be a relationship like that with Jesus inverse relationship. Okay. Yeah. Good question. So the reason, and again, like, like Haiti was pointing out, well, I guess Haiti left, but Haiti was pointing out that, uh, you know, some folks that claim, you know, Christianity don't believe in federal headship and they don't believe in, um, you know, in, in a literal Adam and Eve, but let's, for argument's sake, let's just say that we are talking about these Christian doctrines. So what we would say is that logically, if you have people living outside of a literal first Adam and, you know, a literal first Adam and his sin is getting passed on to every person, um, and, but there are other people running around, like other hominids or whatever you want to say, Neanderthals or whatever the claim is, um, then you would have a two-tiered humanity. You would have one that, that has the sin of Adam, as Paul is arguing in, in Romans chapter 5. And then you would have a whole bunch of other people who are untouched by the sin of Adam. Um, because again, there was a curse... There was, a, there was a series of curses in Genesis chapter 3, 
some of those were on the ground and on the world, and some of those were on humanity themselves. And so if you remove the curse of humanity from other humans, you would, you would not have um, what we call, there's another doctrine that we can sandwich in there called original sin. And so if you, do, if you have humans running around without original sin, then that does violence to the basis of the gospel of Christ. Okay, perfect. And this uh, last one, I swear. Um, so y- you say that, uh, so it's actually the case that the offspring, so, uh, so Adam and Eve will bear, evil bear children, and those children have sinned. I mean, they didn't, they, okay, so they did not, um, they did not disobey. They did not eat of the fruit, forbidden tree. And yet, nonetheless, they are sinners. So they are sinners at birth. They have sinned and they are um, in need of salvation. Or they, they're in need of something to save them from um, the punishment of sin. Is that right? So they have literally sinned, even though they didn't disobey directly? So that's very good. So, so what we would say is they do not have the judicial guilt for Adam's first sin. That's a, that's a different heresy um, that we won't get into. Um, what we would say is that they are born in sin, or what we would say is spiritually dead. Every human comes into the world as an infant, already spiritually dead, is the doctrine of original sin. It is not that they bear the individual sin for Adam, because that would violate Ezekiel 18. It is that they are born you know, it says, dying, you shall surely die, right? This is a Hebrew idiom that is found in Genesis, um, which is the warning against eating the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Um, dying, you shall die. That doesn't mean that they physically died that day. It means that they spiritually died and that, um, you know, they can only give birth, human beings can only give birth to other dead spiritual beings, um, even though they're an infant living in their body. That is the that is the doctrine of original sin, that they are dead in their sins. Okay, so they're na- so this has to do with like total depravity or de- something like a depraved nature. They inherit a nature, right? Yes. Okay, so they, they didn't disobey, they carry a nature. Are they, um, do you have to wait for them to actually commit a sin, which they are inevitably will do because it's given their nature it's such that they would be um, deserving of punishment or are they already deserving of punishment before they, they sin? Right. Because they are spiritually dead. Like, you know, even infants or, or, you know, unborn babies are spiritually dead. Okay. So, it's not that they're receiving punishment for something that they've done. They simply already have had judgment placed upon them at the fall. All humanity was judged at the fall as spiritually dead and deserving of hell. It's not something they do. You don't have to wait for them to actually sin. But a, a very good thought that you just had is that uh, it is in their nature. And so when we describe 
what you are capable of doing. You're only capable of acting within your nature, within your desires. And I don't want to get into a whole long thing about what desires are, but, um, cause we, I mean, we can, but what we would say is that the Christian worldview believes that you can only act according to whatever nature you have. If you are become a Christian, you now have a, you are now created with a new nature. Um, Ezekiel 36 puts this as a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. So that's like a key doctrine in Christianity. It's very good. Well, so you're saying that, um, um, so it, they're not punished because they have a sin, they have a fallen nature. They're punished because of some other transgression. Is that right? Well, they're punished because of original sin, because the, the curse of spiritual death was put onto all humanity at the fall. And so all human beings are deserving of hell and God simply, um, saves some human beings, not all. All right. Great. Thank you for that. I appreciate your time. And that, that was a question that I've had a lot of trouble getting a clear answer. And that's like the clearest answer that I've ever heard. So thank you. Wow. Sorry if I went on. No, no. I mean, I always enjoy these conversations with you, Daniel. Um, anytime you want to know anything, and I can also send you some resources that would back up what I'm saying from actual theologians and not just idiots like me. <laughs> um, let's see. Veritas, <clears throat> welcome. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. I only have about two minutes after I go to work, but uh, just responding to everybody this morning. I listened to the last 20 minutes. I'm sorry. Um, I'm only yeah, no, cool. first five. Hey, no problem. Nope. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> or last 35 minutes. Uh, yeah, so Genesis 4. Okay, so first of all, um, uh, Jesus is called the second Adam, which means if you believe in Jesus existed, then you're confirming that Adam existed because Jesus is called the second Adam. So in Adam, all sin, and then in Jesus, um, all are made alive. So that's that's that parallel. And then uh, Genesis 4, 7 is where it talks about a free will offering, where you can, if uh, Genesis 4, 7 says, if you do good, then God will accept your, uh, your, your sin offering. And it says, you know, that you're, that he's pleased with you, you know, just read Genesis 4, 7. And then with, uh, with uh, Cain, it says that, uh, that God was wroth with him because, uh, because sin lieth at the, at the door. So there's something that Cain did that displeased God, not necessarily that it was um, a, a, a offering, but something, something behind the offering caused, caused God to, God, God recognized that there was sin upon Cain versus Abel. So, you know, if you read it, it talks about free will. But anyways, as far as the headship goes, also I'm trying to remember everything stated, say all this in like three minutes here. Um, so with with. Um, so the Bible says that Eve was deceived and that Adam fell by transgression. So Adam became Antichrist. In other words, he denied the words of God and, you know, he became antichrist, but she was deceived. So the reason that we're, that men are, the he, the headship issue is because they're either antichrist or they're for God or they're, uh, they're either against God or they're for God. It's one of, it's one of the two. 
And then, but women were actually deceived. So that kind of covers um, pretty much everything that was talked about. And also that guy, that guy had like the bath, the devil worshiper, their picture, the picture was out of like the Baphomet scapegoat where he's kind of considered the covering of sin in the old Testament. And that's why I called him out when he's, when he said Jesus and the devil in one sentence, I said, no, they're not brothers. Cause he did say brother. And isn't it interesting that yesterday, uh, the one thing I, that we were talking about you and I, Nate, how we were talking about gods. And I said, well, the only, the only other God that mentions follows all of those things about wanting to ascend up to heaven and come back and claim to be God was the devil. And then look what, look what happened the very next day. We actually had someone that was, you know, had the pentagram. So anyways, I hope that helped. God bless. I got to go to work. It's uh, yeah. Wow, we day. need to bring you back for like two minute segments at a time. That was that was <laughs> packed. I don't know if you're making notes yeah. or what, but thank you. <laughs> uh, hey, God bless you guys. All right, bye. <laughs> Take care, uh, Adam. Thanks, sure. What's up, Adam? Hi. Um, I had a question for Chris. I was listening um for the past ten minutes about he was talking about original sin. Um, the question I had was so um, what 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 would the Christian ruling be for um an infant that passes away? Or unborn baby that passes away, would they be destined for hell due to the original sin? So all humans are destined to hell unless God saves them, chooses to save them, right? So um, there are a couple of different views on that. The scripture um, seems to teach in um, in Second Samuel uh, where um, uh, David uh, has his son. Uh, and his son dies, and David makes a statement that he will see him again um, in the grave, in the afterlife, uh, and be with him. Um, so we get some inkling of that. Now, whether or not that is accurate, like, or just it's recording David's belief, there's there are debates amongst theologians on that point. So... What we do know about the character and nature of God is that the one attribute of God that he says the most in the scripture is that he is good. The second one is that he is faithful. The third one is that he is powerful. So he's good. He's uh, going to be uh, doing no evil or injustice, um, that he is faithful to his word and his people. He doesn't change and that uh, he has the power to carry those things out. So what does that mean for an infant who dies or a baby who is um, killed in the womb or whatever? Um, the, the real answer is, and the humble answer is, we don't know. We're not given enough information. The information that we do have seems to indicate that God in his justice um, would provide provision for those babies but we just don't know i read um deuteronomy 139 says moreover your little ones which he said should be a prey and your children which in that day had no knowledge between good and evil they shall go in thither and unto them i will give it and they shall possess it so right there it kind of says that they're making a statement that your children don't know have the, don't have the knowledge between good and evil they're just doing their nature as like what you said Chris. yeah but i think it i think it should be said that one of the first things that chris said is that we're all 
like we, that we all deserve help, right? So, you know, that, that just seems like the ultimate kind of fishing on both sides of the river kind of thing. So if, if it turns out that David's baby, for example, because that was the reference that, uh, reference that Chris made, if David's baby's in hell, he deserves it. Um, and if D David's baby is in heaven, oh, he deserves it, right? Or God, you know, God chose to, to save him. I did also think that it's interesting with what Chris said to say, you know, that one of the first things, you know, that God is good. Um, seems to me, at least, bias is accepted, that if all these things are true and David's baby isn't in heaven, because David's baby didn't get sick and die, God caused David's baby to get sick and die. So, and depending on what, you know, like, depending on what you believe that you know, all things happen for the good of his purpose or anything, stuff like that, cool, whatever. But it seems to me to fall, you know, to stand in the face of what is quote unquote good. If in fact, it's all true, God made David's baby sick, he died, and then sent him to hell. Well, I would just say, Sure. If your premise is true, I see your point. Uh, but we, you know, we also believe that whenever we we talk about, you know, it's not just like a cute little baby. From our standpoint, um, you know, a couple of things. First of all, in the greater good, uh, maybe from something you're more familiar with, would it be what if David's little baby would have grown up, interfered with the lineage of David? I don't know, prematurely killed him because he got mad at daddy or something like that. Then that would mess with the lineage of Jesus and, you know, cause some problems for the savior of the world to redeem billions of people. So surely that would be worse than sending one little baby to hell, um, point one. Uh, last point, um, if little baby went to hell, whenever people talk about this, like, you know, it's like abortion on demand, and that's cool because um, reasons. But then whenever they talk about, you know, potentially babies going to hell in the Bible, um, then they, they talk about cute little babies. Um, but, I mean, from that's from our perspective. Like, from God's perspective, I, mean, I know you've heard me say this a million times. Like, this little baby, we may as well consider him a fully grown, hundred-year-old ancient man. Because, uh, you know, God knows everything from the beginning, like he knows the end from the beginning. So when we see a little baby and our experience only tells us, you know, like this three month old baby or whatever, how old we, we perceive it as God knows this baby just like just like us. So if we want to make that argument, we could say like, well, you know, we may as well be considered a little bitty babies, but we can't do that because how much evil have we done? And we have a perspective that, you know, we are our current ages. But, you know, from God's perspective, he already sees the end of our life. Like if we're really good moral people right now. We may not end up that way. If we're really terrible people right now, we may end up good moral people or may stay the same. We don't know that, but God does. So the point is, if any little baby ends up in hell, it may as well be like an 80-year-old fully grown person that has chose to do evil his entire life. Um, that would be the point to kind of re get rid of the emotion out of the argument. Um, can I just say something on that one, Nate? Um, yeah. Then um, do, do, isn't free will in Christian belief as well? You have the choice to do evil and bad, or is everything uh, predestined? Depends who you ask. Uh, but basically, it's one and the same. So, like, if, if people will say you can totally choose to do whatever you want, but other people who say you don't have free will, um, they just say God gives you what you otherwise would have done if He didn't. So, so basically, yeah, that. Like, if you do something, it's not because God is is necessarily forcing you to do something that you wouldn't do on your own. So, no matter what you. you you can say it whatever, however you want to say it. There's like philosophical um, ramifications depending on which way you go, but it's all exactly the same. So basically there's no excuse. So if you want to do something bad, um, you can't blame God for making you do something bad. You would always do something bad whether or not God had a hand in it or not. Or if you want to do something good, 
you would always choose to do that good thing, whether or not God had a hand in it or not. See, and that's really interesting because I, I understand, and this will, again, yeah, I know I say this a lot, this will sound less charitable than I mean it to, but that, that sounds like a, like a glorified coping mechanism because, well, okay, so God, God caused the baby to be sick and die, but, you know, like, Nate, you almost offered up kind of like a, like a weird reverse version of the, um, you know, like of, of the, the, the composer argument, right? You know, you go back and you, you find this person, blah, 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 and you kill this baby. Oh, congratulations. You just killed Beethoven. Right. It, it's almost, it's almost like that. Like when you're talking about when this baby would grow up and, and mess with the possibility of Jesus. But the reason it sounds like a coping mechanism is because the idea of, uh, of this good to reference what Chris said, good God making a baby sick and dying sounds terrible so the way to and again from my perspective um the way to ra help to rationalize that is god knows what this baby was going to do throughout its entire life so he already knows so that makes it okay um so i'll just uh, i guess address the coping thing um for me it's not coping i i honestly don't care um if they're like god's evil he sends babies to hell fall an evil god or be burned yourself i'd be like oh crap i guess i have a choice to make so I, I don't care about coping. I care about accuracy. Um, so, you know, everything I'm saying is in the interest of what I honestly think is closest to accurate. Um, so I guess I, I would just say that for as far as coping mechanism. Um, and then if I don't know anyone else wanted to chime in. I Are you Calvinist now? No. <laughs> Silence, Chris. Not one word from you. Not one word from you. Nate, I did not I have to thread this needle very carefully. I have to thread my words very carefully to try to say things that are, are acceptable enough to Chris that he won't butt in and interrupt me. <laughs> I did not put her up to that. Just for the, the record, my convictions. just for the record, I've been I've been harassing Nate for the last month that I enjoy the new Calvinist Nate, but uh, but I did not put Haiti up to that. That was completely that was her free will. Oh, Chris just said free will. Oh, predetermination. Yeah. Oh, Nate's a Calvinist. <laughs> okay. Oh. I'm done bro, with all of you. Bro, bro, you, so one... you just need to jump in and accept the cookie because if the, if the atheists are even calling you a Calvinist now, you just need to give in. Okay, so, at the, well, uh, to be fair, at this point, t today, in the span of the last hour, I've been called a non-Christian. I've been called a closet Satanist. And now a Calvinist. So, uh, you know, who wants to adopt me at this point? I mean, those are all kind of the same thing to some people, so. You're like persecuted. You said it. Like Jesus. No, he's like, you're persecuted. Yeah. You're participating in his sufferings, Philippians 129. I mean, if we're persecuted for Christ, then, you know, that's fine. But if we're, I don't know, does that still count if we're persecuted by insane people that think Christians are Satanists? Does that still count? I mean, I guess so, right? Yeah, that counts. Okay. Oh, boy, what a day. Yeah, Adam. I, I had a little bit of another question about heaven and hell and, and how Christians see it. Because um, I was I was talking to one of my Christian friends and they see heaven and hell as like a binary. Either you make it to heaven or you go to hell and there's no like levels and there's no... I agree um, with that. Yeah, there's no like uh, weighing up of sins and good deeds and then deciding whether you go to hell or not. So is is that how um, Christian belief is? Yes, I agree with your friend. 
Okay, then um, well, then the question I had was um, then how would you rationalize God's justice then for let's say a Christian that believed in Jesus but they were sinful, let's say a murderer for example, and someone that lived a good life, they both go to the same heaven, same experience in the hereafter, all of that. Well, there's justice and grace. So, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, good works, which is what goodness, like every religion on earth appeals to except Christianity. And by the way, you know, it's not like Christians are devoid of good works. Like look at your, you know, look at your average church going adherent Christian. Um, they're not exactly evil. They're not exactly law and rule breakers. So just because we say our salvation is not dependent on good works, everyone hears that as I guess we want bad works. But then when you look at the lives of your average observant Christian, not just someone that says, hey, I'm a Christian and, you know, does everything against what Jesus says, but you're, you're honest to goodness, observant Christian, um, then it, you see that we want to do good works. We're just saying that doesn't save us. That doesn't count for like, you know, salvation or anything like that. Um, so, I mean, and that's what I say. So like you have justice, which is what Chris talked about if you were here earlier for the Genesis thing, uh, you know, how we're, we're all deserving of hell. That is, that is justice based on, you know, this fallen world and our sinful nature. Um, you know, even even if it doesn't, uh, you know, take you very long as a baby to start doing sins against God's will all on your own. Like you can sin and, you know, cover your face in cookies and lie about it and be like, uh, 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 before you can even use words. So it, we're all guilty immediately of, of the sin stuff. So that would be God's justice. God's grace is Jesus paid for this sin. And all you need to do is sincerely believe and confess this Jesus is Lord believe in his death, burial, resurrection, and then he, God himself, pays this price for your sin. So if you want justice, hell is just. If you want grace, let Jesus stand in for you and be reconciled to your creator. So in the Christian worldview, that's exactly what we believe. And then good works come after that, but good works don't count for any salvation stuff. Honestly, honestly. But the question would be then, um, that baby didn't have a time to uh, believe in Jesus. They either died in the womb or died in early infancy. So yeah, well, for that I don't know if you I don't know if you were here for that conversation. It may have happened right before you got in here, but I mean, ultimately we we don't know. Like the Bible, the Bible gives us some clues, right? Like just like what Chris talked about. Like David, he he was sure he was going to see his unborn baby again. So how did that work? Was that was that David being hopeful? Was that David you know being inspired by God to say that for future generations to know? Um, so ultimately, the Bible is really unclear, but what the Bible is adamant on is God is just, and God is good, and God is love. So the point is, no matter how that shakes out, there is no being in this universe who would be better suited to pass judgment on some unborn baby than the creator of said unborn baby. So if someone could say, well, I'd rather be the judge, or I'd rather you be the judge. Well, if you believe the Bible at all, then... God himself is the absolute best being in this entire creation to pass judgment on that. So um, you either trust this God or you don't. And people that, you know, think this God is evil and or doesn't exist that typically fall on the God is bad. If he exists side, I wouldn't trust him to, you know, throw a rock. Um, and the Christians who see the nature say they see the nature and quality and character of God and it is good and it is love. And yes, it is just. But they would say, no, there's no one I would want. Like, my goodness, have, have we not been living proof today? Like, if I could be judged by, like, you know, the people in this room today, um, not you guys, I'm sure you're fine. But, you know, the other people that are like, yeah, you're a Satanist, yeah. you're not a Christian. I'm like, you know what? I am glad the God of the Bible is my judge, and it's not you. Otherwise, goodness.
So yes, no, hundred percent. I, I I agree with God being the ultimate judge. Yeah, and so me, I'm 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 personally I'm a Muslim, so I, I I agree with the whole God being a judge and everything. But for us, it's slightly different in terms of um, salvation, in terms of making it to heaven. It's very much a um, your actions as well as your belief. They go together. So you can be a, a believer, but be sinful, and you will still be punished. If that makes sense. It, it and, is like uh, there's like yeah. a great scale, right? And it has to be balanced. Yeah, yeah, and even even infants, anything before puberty isn't counted as sinful. So if you were to die before knowing right and wrong, which would be puberty age, then you would make it to heaven, regardless of your faith or whatever you're brought up with or whatever badness you've done. If that makes sense. Yeah, I understand, and I would say at that that would I mean that would just be a point of disagreement that we have, and there's no reason we can't civilly disagree. But yeah, um, yeah we just yeah, we yeah. just believe different things about that. Yeah. Uh, it, does anyone else have anything to say? Or Aviana, would you like to speak to that? Yeah. Or anything else? Sure. I'm not going to touch on the babies because I feel like that that's something that scripture is nearly almost silent on. And I think where scripture is silent, we need to try to, to remain silent. Um, but you asked a great question about how can, right, how can God be just? And <clears throat> um, so there's a saying in Latin, it's called, uh, simul justice expector, and it means simultaneously just and sinner. So how can somebody be at the same time, right? How can they be justified and, and how can they be a sinner um, all at the same time, right? And the, the, the simple grade school answer is is because of Jesus. It's called penal, substitu- penal substitutionary atonement. Um, so when Christ came down to earth as a man, he lived a perfect life. So he kept the law for for us he kept the entire law he kept it perfectly he never sinned not one time okay that that's very important for um for this to understand okay he died on the cross and then he rose again from the dead and when he died when he died on the cross okay when he died on the cross his righteousness um excuse me <coughs> um his righteousness is given to those right who trust in who trust in Christ? So whenever Christ took on the wrath of those um, that are His elect, and we are given His righteousness, so now we are seen by God the Father, like like Christ. Okay, not that we're God or anything; we're just perfectly clean, like like He is, without sin, because His righteousness was given was given to us. Um, and then we have, so that's how we're justified is because of Christ's work on the cross, him taking upon our sin, not that he actually became sin, but he took upon our sin and we took upon his righteousness. So that is how we are, are now are, are now righteous. And then we have the process of what's called sanctification, being made more and more into the image of, of Christ, being purged, right, of, of our sin. And that happens through um various ways you know through the means of grace right reading your word like the bible says sanctify us by your truth your word is truth taking up the means of grace going to church um but also the trials that that god sends our way um he purges the sin out of us and we become more and more like christ and also right because we love god we're now we have a new nature because of what Christ did for us on the cross he, somebody had mentioned it earlier ezekiel i will take out the heart of flesh and, um, or I'll take out the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And we have these new desires now, but we still, we are still battling until we get to heaven, until we get to, glorif- until we get to glorification. Um, we are still battling with our flesh, but we do it, our good acts because we love God 
and not because we are trying to earn our way to heaven because we can't keep the law. The law is, is so high above us. We cannot do that. I mean, God said, if you even look at a woman with lust, you commit adultery within your heart. If you are angry with your brother, you have murdered him. Um, we, we cannot keep the law. So Christ came, he kept it perfectly for us. And, um, and now when we have these new natures, we strive to keep God's law because we love him. Uh, when you said that, that was, that the grade school answer was penal substitutionary atonement. Um, wow. You Calvinists have tough grade schools. <laughs> I, I, meant, I meant Christ dying on the cross. I, I, I meant the grade school answer is Christ dying on the cross. That was the grade school answer. And then I went into penal substitution. I'm sorry. You busted out the Latin. That was my favorite part. And then, and then you're like talking about doing battle with Sid. And then you hear your toddlers and I'm like, sounds like you're doing battle with toddlers right now. <laughs> uh, Adam, did you have a thought on that? Um, yeah, I had, so my question on that one would be then, how about before Jesus then? So how did people have a relationship with God before him? Who wants that one? My kids are okay, beating me up right now. So um, yes. See, that's how we know kids can sin. See, that, that's how we know kids can be sinful. Um, well, just kidding. Well, not, but your kids are great. They're angels. Um, because like in Hebrews, it talks about, you know, the, the people before Jesus had faith in God and that's what was counted as righteousness. So before Jesus existed, I, I want to be clear on that. Like Jesus didn't just exist when he showed up a couple thousand years ago as a, as a baby, as a person. Like Jesus is is the beginning and the end. Like there there is no beginning. Like Jesus is forever. Just, I mean Jesus is God. We believe. So Jesus has always existed. The person of Jesus has always existed. Uh, but whenever he became incarnate as a human, he existed forever before that. Um, so anyways, it's still the same way. Like you know that's why we believe that you know good works don't save us. We should totally do good works. But good works don't save us. It's the same way after Jesus was here in human form as before Jesus was here in human form. It's always been faith in God to save. So when the Old Testament people before Jesus had faith in God, like Abraham had believed God and it was credited as righteousness, just like I right now have faith in Jesus Christ to save me, and that is credited as righteousness. It's by faith alone, not of works, so no one can boast. But once you have that faith alone, your heart is changed. God himself lives with you, changes your heart, gives you a new heart, and then you're going to do good works. So is is it the faith faith in God or faith in the dying on the cross? Dying on the cross, which one is it, or is it both? It's it's both. Well, so yeah, so then the, the question was so then before Jesus actually died on the cross, then who so you couldn't have had that belief that he died on the cross because it hasn't happened yet. So well, yeah, I, th- I thought you were going to say is it faith in God or Jesus, and I was going to say it's one and the same. But no, it's it's not necessarily faith in the piece of wood or anything like that. Like Jesus says, you know, without the shedding of blood, there's not forgiveness of sins. So yes, he he predicts his death. He says he's going to die, and he says he's going to, you know, he says no one takes my life. I lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. Another reason why Jesus is God. But the point is, yeah, Abraham believed God, and it was counted as righteous. So when we believe, like Romans ten nine and ten says, because you know, the only thing that changes is we we have more history that happens. So we have more events that play out. So if Abraham, you know, said believe God, and it's just like the Mosaic law. The, you know, the, the law of the Old Testament, that didn't save anyone. Like, you know, Paul says it only has the power to show how sinful you are and condemn, yet that was evidence they believed in God. So by following the law, ultimately, it's not just following the law for the law's sake that saved them. 
it is just like Abraham who didn't have the law. Whenever they had, went from Abraham who had no law but believed God, righteous. Then they had the law. They followed the law, which meant they believed God. Because if they didn't believe God, there would be zero reason for them to keep a law. Why would you keep a law from a God that you don't think exists? So the fact that the people after Abraham and before Jesus who had the law and followed the law, it wasn't faith in the law that saved them. It was faith in God, which is why they followed the law. So that's evidence that they believed God. Um, that's how anyone in the Old Testament between Abraham and Jesus was saved. And then after Jesus, well, we have the benefit of knowing his death, burial, resurrection on the cross. So like Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us, if you believe God you know, raised Jesus from the dead and confessed Jesus as Lord, you will be saved. So it's commonly understood, since we have the benefit of knowing stuff, well, yes, Jesus came in human form, his death, burial, resurrection. That's the story. But if someone doesn't doesn't know all the intricacies of that, they just know there's Jesus, you know, uh, and can for forgive your sins. Like before Jesus died, you know, people didn't know to believe on the cross or believe in his death and burial and resurrection because Jesus was here in human form, but he hadn't yet died yet. So again, he says, if you believe in me, you will never die. So it's not it's not contingent on a piece of wood or nails or anything like that. It's contingent on the same being it has always been, which is Jesus. Um, uh, yeah, that that's the answer. So it's, I hope that helps. So it's not a piece of wood. It's the person before, during, after the cross, the ever existing Jesus. Okay, yeah, that kind of answers the question. So so mainly, mainly is, is belief in God mainly is the answer that I kind of understood from that. Uh, your short answer, yes, um, but then I would I would say it the way I said it for a, a longer answer. But yes, yeah, okay, all right, interesting. So but and I then, think Mark had. Oh yeah, well I think Mark may have had something to contribute to this too. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to clarify an answer, and um, I think you you'll agree, Nate. But if not, that's fine too. But I I really believe what Jesus said. He said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." No man comes unto the Father but by me. And so that tells me that really in all the ages, there's only one way to be saved. So when I look at these Old Testament characters, um, I believe that they were saved in the same way we are. But for us, we're looking back at what Jesus did. They're looking forward to what the Christ or the Messiah would do and I believe that God gave them all the information that they needed to be able to place their trust in the one that would come and sacrifice himself for their sins and be their savior and it started with Adam and Eve they didn't have a lot of knowledge but I think God gave them enough knowledge they saw the shedding of blood with the animals that were sacrificed because of their sin um, they had the promise in Genesis 3.15, that God would provide the seed of the woman that would crush the serpent's head, the one who tempted them and got them off track. And so I think they had enough. And then I think the whole sacrificial system was a picture of the coming Messiah and how he would sacrifice himself. Um, they didn't know it was on a cross, but they had inklings of it from Psalm 22 and so forth. So I think uh, to answer Adam's question, there's only one way to be saved, and it's through the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, and they didn't know his name was Christ back in those days, or Jesus, but they knew that this promised one would come, and if they trusted him, it's not enough just to believe God, because 
James 2 says the devils believe God. They believe in God and they tremble. Um, if you ask a devil, do you believe in God? He'd say, yes, man, he's making it rough on us. Do you believe Jesus came to earth? They'd say, yeah. Do you believe he died on the cross? Yeah, we thought we had him. And then he rose again. See, the devils know all that. But the word believe in the Bible means trust, depend. We've got to depend on the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for our soul's salvation. I agree with you, Mark. Uh, Adam, you're... go ahead if you want to say something, Adam. Yeah, I was going to say something. But it's, I was going to ask, is there scripture to back that up? Because um, what, what Abraham preached was very much just monotheism. Nothing added to that. Nothing to do with a coming of someone that will die on the cross. Maybe for the Old Testament and Moses, yes. But for Abraham, I'm pretty sure scripture doesn't say anything to do with dying for sins or anything anything like that. A good passage about Abraham to study is Genesis 22, when he is uh, willing to uh, obey the Lord about offering his son Isaac. And as they go up, Isaac says, okay, here's the wood, here's the fire, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham tells Isaac, God will provide himself a lamb. And sure enough, the ram is caught in the thickets and they're able to sacrifice, uh, make that sacrifice instead of Isaac. But it's interesting, we believe the Bible is inspired word for word. And it's interesting that God would have Abraham say, and it's in our Bible, God will provide himself a lamb. And when you read the Bible in its entirety, and you see the Lamb of God in John 1.29 that takes away the sin of the world. Um, you also have Romans uh, chapter 5, which talks about Abraham being justified by faith. Uh, James says he's justified by works, but that's in the sight of men. In the sight of God, we're justified by faith alone. So Abraham uh, believed God. If he believed him enough to leave Ur of the Chaldees, if he believed him enough to offer Isaac, and I think he also believed him enough to trust that uh, coming Messiah that would be that lamb that would be the perfect sacrifice. Uh, Adam, was that what you're looking for? Um... I mean, I understand the point he's making. Uh, we, as Muslims, we believe the same thing about Abraham and sacrificing his son and a lamb being brought down by God, yeah. But uh, I don't really see how that ties into a prophecy of a coming Messiah that will die on the cross. And that linking into the belief of Abraham himself and what he preached. But yeah, I can, I can understand the answer he gave you. Sure. And, and by the way, uh, chat looks fun. Hey, is that the real John Lee? I haven't seen you in like a year. Hope everything's doing doing well for you. Um, random, what's up, random? Are you speaking rando? Yeah. So, uh, so I guess my I have a curiosity, and, and my goal is not combativeness. Um, but like, what what really I find hard to understand uh, is kind of the usage of the word no, like epistemologically. Like I know electricity and circuits and stuff because I've done experimentation. Uh, to demonstrate that those are the case. And so I suppose my question is, how do you know? Why do you use the word no when you say 
you know that God exists? Do you know it in the same way that you can kind of do experimentation to know other, other things about the world around or? When I say it, I say it in like the, the Gnostic like sense, like it has been revealed to me, like in, in this spirit that I will say, you know, we claim, we posit the existence of a spirit, soul. Um, I'll say like, I, I know it like deep within myself. So like if you're someone who denies the spiritual stuff or anything like that, then I'd say the best you can get to, which is kind of like a second best, would be like uh, an intuition type thing, which is not all what we mean. But if you're someone that, you know, doesn't, doesn't espouse any spiritual stuff or spiritual knowledge or believe in some spiritual world, then I'd say that's as close as you can get to understanding when we talk about, you know, we, we know that we know God. Um, you should hear that as well. They must intuitively really just really believe this like through and through. But in the Gnostic sense, I claim that. Like, I can't do experiments to pull God out of heaven. Um, so it's in the Gnostic, like, a, you know, Gnostic theist sense, I would claim that. Um, but since it can't be proven in the way that you would want it to be proven, you should just hear that as, well, Nate really, really believes it. Right. So it's, it, I guess my question, I, I shouldn't think of it in the terms of like intuition, because intuition does not, certainly does not like lend itself to be 100% credible. So it's, so it's basically just what you're saying is it's a different version of saying, you know, something. Sure. Yeah. And the intuition, like, you know, it's, it's a horrible, um, a horrible way to explain it. But if you're, if you're talking to someone who, you know, doesn't believe in any supernatural spiritual world at all, that's, that's like the, the best they can hope to understand where you're coming from, which is still not at all what you're saying. Like, that's not at all how I would describe it. But for lack of anything else, that, that's kind of like the best you got. Um, or maybe what you said. Anyone else? I wanted to kind of try and make a point. Nate, you might disagree with me, or you might agree, I don't know, but the whole idea of um, needing like something, like a testable proof to see if God exists is kind of defeating the purpose of God, religion, and this life. Because if you had a proof, like an objective scientific proof that God existed, then there is no need for faith and belief. And therefore there's no test to see who's going heaven, who's going hell, and who's, who's, who's a sincere believer if you could prove or you could see God or you could test that God exists. That makes sense. Well, yeah, I, I, well, it does. And I mean, it, it's certainly a, a good out for us. Uh, you know, not that we need one, but it's there. So do they have the foresight to, to put this in thousands of years ago? Who knows? But I mean, the fact is, you know, God says without, the Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So, I mean, if we could absolutely prove God, like in, in the way you can, you know, test electricity and do experiments and stuff like that empirically, um, then I guess we would all be going to hell <laughs> because it would be impossible to have faith in God at that point because we would we would know empirically so God so I guess exactly, no one exactly. would be pleasing God so we'd all be doomed. How would it be impossible to go to heaven if we knew that God exists? I don't get that. Well, the Bible makes the claim that without faith it is impossible to please God. So you don't need faith for things you absolutely can prove. Why? Why? Why can't you have faith in something that you know? Because you know, you, it's not faith. Faith is um, faith is believing something that you don't know, as in you can't prove, but you Where believe you it get... anyways. Due to, I hear I hear atheists make that argument, like they say that that's what faith is. But where does the Bible say that? Because the Bible says that all men know God. Even no, all men know of the all, all men like know the existence of God. But the Bible also talks about you know like when it, the Bible defines faith, it talks about I'm going to mess this up. 
Um, I mess it up every time. It's like what faith is the the substance of things hoped for, the evidence the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Right. Thank you, atheist Michael. I always get that backwards. So no it, matter it how just many seems times. like <laughs> it just seems like this assumes like this empiricist epistemology that you can only know things if they're seen. Well, that depends on. I think that depends on what you know, kind of what your standard of evidence is. But it's interesting. Yeah. Like, so listening for the last last few minutes, right? Like I think it's true. Like so, it's Hebrews eleven six that Nate said. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? So when whenever a Christian says to me, I have faith, I'm like, okay, cool. Um, I've always personally believed, like a personal conviction of mine has been, if you have knowledge, you don't need faith. Um, so, but, you know, like I understand there may be some quibbling over something, over something like that, like, you know, the antics of semantics. But, um, like, but that's been a personal conviction of mine. But whenever a Christian says to me, I have faith, I'm like, cool, you have faith, no, no worries. Um, but but when a Christian says to me, I know, and, and I know differently because Nate and I have talked about this ad nauseum. So when Nate says, I know God exists, I know exactly where he's coming from. Nate would never say, here, I can give you absolute evidence that what I'm saying is true. He would never say something like that. Um, but But I know what he means when he says, I know God exists. And that's why it's important. Like, I think sometimes things get lost, you know, like, and, and there are some who don't under like, who don't like the fact that we need to have clarification especially when it comes to things like terms like just have not so that we can get pedantic about things just so that we understand where the other person's coming from clarification is, is a wonderful thing sure do you think that like if god appeared to you and started speaking to you that you would know that he exists well again so if i put on my christian hat romans 1 says i already know god exists but i'm suppressing the truth in my unrighteousness right but but what I would have to say is, is if something like that happened, I would, I would seek out help because what, what, what I would, so it's funny, I've heard this a lot and I don't remember who it was that said this. I don't know what it would take to convince me that God exists, but if God exists, he knows exactly what it would take to convince me that he exists. So, well, I'm, so I... oh, okay. Yeah, fine. Yeah. Yeah. See in, in, in my, because I'm like, I, I'm a mental health care professional, I'm a social worker. So if if I if I saw something like that, my first thought would be um, something in my brain broke. I just saw something that doesn't seem to be there, so I would attempt to exhaust all of the medical things before I went to something supernatural. But I ex but my biases are accepted. I understand that that's coming from my position in in, uh, in my life. Right, but like assuming that God was able to effectively communicate that He was there talking to you. Do you think, or I, I was asked Nate this question because I know that he's a uh, Christian. Um, not, not anything against you, Michael, but do you think that you would know that he exists, and that would like cut out the, it, it, like, it it would cut out faith, like there would be no point in having faith if he disappeared to you. Well, Did, I, can I, I think. Well, I I think we may have said that. Were you listening? Because I, I think we just. Well, I'm just I'm just clarifying because I'm I'm gonna I have a oh. I have a question I'm gonna ask if if that's true. Well, to a point, but I mean there's there's going like when someone asked Michael a minute ago like if he has uh, you know if he um if he he heard God speak to him or something like that well even if you like quote no that's God there's still going to be an element of trust which some would say is you know sort of synonymous with faith that you know is yeah. that truly God is that truly the God of the Bible so no matter how you want to like you know slice that pie um. There, there's still you can I, I would posit that you can know and have faith at the same time 
and then we so can even, do, you know we can quibble about those definitions. Yeah, I agree. I agree that you can know unhappy. That's what I was gonna. That's what I just wanted to make sure because because in that text that you brought up uh, in Hebrews eleven, the it, it's like it's known as like the Hall of Faith chapter, and it goes through all the various people in the Bible who had faith, and those people who it lists like like Abraham, um, they all like saw God and were spoken to God directly and knew empirically so that God existed, but they still were t- said to have faith. So I, I just wanted to make sure that we weren't saying that you could know that God exists and still also not have faith and trust in God. I think that was, I think that's a poor definition of faith biblically. Well, yeah, but then the, other, the Bible also says, the Bible also says that like when, and Jesus said, right. Yeah, to Thomas, right? You have seen and you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and believed, right? So, I mean, according to the Bible, Jesus, and, you know, and again, Nate, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't want to speak for Christianity, but it seemed, but when I read that passage, it seems like Jesus is saying that, like, that not that knowledge is good, but faith is more virtuous. At least that's what it says to me. Well, no, that, that would just be assuming empiricism that you have to see things to know it, because actually in the chapter right before that, in John 20, it says, that I write these things to you so that you may know and believe. It's not, it, the, the, the scriptures don't assume this empiricist epistemology that you have to observe them in order to know it. And I, I would say, you know, in the same way, like, you know, Romans 1, how, you know, it talks about everyone knows there's a God, but still, if, if Michael, since you know there's a God, if you became a Christian right now, and truly, you're like, I sincerely believe, um, then no one would say that you know God like, you can produce empirical evidence right now. I mean, we would still say, oh, great, Michael exercised faith in Christ. It's like, wait, wait, two minutes ago before he was a Christian, you said he knew the existence of God. So it's like, you know, is the Bible so wrong? Are people so incapable that like a few pages, they completely forgot what they were saying a few like chapters before? Surely not. No one is that dumb. Um, And we've had thousands of years to critique it. So is there a way that you can quote no and also exercise faith at the same time? I I would say yes. Uh, But But Anson, did you... Uh, well, I've noticed Anson's been here a while. I wanted to see if they had anything to say. Uh, Anson? No, just here to listen. And, uh, uh, how about you, Anson? I want to say something else. All right. Anson, are you speaking? Oh, and Edburn. Yeah, you too. Hey. What's up? Yeah, I mean, one passage that comes to mind is First uh, Corinthians thirteen twelve, where he says, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am also I'm known. And many people believe this is referring to face to face, that is seeing Christ face to face. Um, there will be a, our faith will become sight and it will become uh, knowledge. It's like, it's a different, it's a more, I don't know how you describe it, but it seems to, some people believe that's referring to faith becoming sight. Because right now we don't walk by, we walk by faith, not by sight. So it's kind of like we don't, um, our Christian walk is not about in, empirically proving things. We trust the word of God. We trust God. It's not by empiricism. It's not like, and even if God, that's the thing is there's some things that I don't think God could prove to us. Like how would God prove, like, for example, that he's existed for all of eternity. You have to take him at his word, right, Nate? How would he prove that to you? Well, his, his word is, is uh, self-attesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, you know, proves I agree. It, it proves it. What I'm saying is God, God can't cannot, lie. So yeah, yeah. What, what I'm saying is God could not. How would God? But then you got to take that on faith. How would God empirically? Well, prove that would be transcendentally that, necessary. Yeah, just to clarify my question. How would God? I'm a Christian for what it's worth. 
How would God, I believe God has existed from all of eternity. How would God empirically prove that? He would, let's say he had, would he have like a video recording from existing volume? He can't well, he do wouldn't that. Empir- I, he wouldn't empirically prove it because, I mean, unless you, that's what I'm saying. Like, mm-hmm. the Bible doesn't assume an empiricist epistemology that we can only know things if we observe it. Yeah, well, but also we, we've, we've shifted a little bit, uh, Edwin, because remember the, the original question was, how do we just know God exists? So now we're adding like, well, how do we know how long God has existed, well, which was not part of the original well, question. That, 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 well, that's, well that, that's an example. When we speak about God as Christians, we're referring to there's a set of attributes that God has. God is from eternity. He's existed for eternity past. He's all-knowing. He is all-loving. Uh, he is uh, all-powerful. All how would he – so there are various attributes of God. How would God prove – I accept all these things by faith. God has not empirically demonstrated them to me. Well, all those things are revealed in nature. Yeah, just as Kev said, those things are necessarily true about God. He couldn't be good apart from that. So, like, uh, how do we know that God uh, is pure act? You know, that God is an unmoved mover, right? That he has no origin. Well, that's biological. Well, not biological. Yeah, it's by necessity. Yeah, God by necessity is that, and we can demonstrate that to the light of... uh, I have nature. I mean, I, I, I think I think you j- jump into a conclusion to say that it's a logical necessity. The definition that is used for God uh, places it as a logical necessity. So by by purely by only definition, is it logical necessity? Uh, I mean, like, uh, by necessity, as in reality, couldn't exist apart from something that is pure act. Like you can't have a, you can't have something that is pure act. Or sorry, you can't have reality without something that happens to be pure act. So that's like by necessity. That, that's not like if we define God this way, like, well, God is uh, all these omni attributes and also eternal. So therefore, it's by necessity. That's not what I mean. I mean, literally, you couldn't have anything existing apart from uh, apart from God. Uh, and that would play into him being pure act. And we could talk about the reasons for that. That's a modal claim, though. So you're going to have to specify the modality. Presumably, it's like a logical modality. Well, what modality are you saying, talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. What do you well, mean? Well, when you say that something is impossible, right? There must be a certain thing. So this, uh, there can't be a state of affairs in which there is no prime mover. It's impossible. Yeah, yeah I could have yeah. like a, there are no state of affairs uh, in which things could have or which things can go from potency to act without something being purely actual. Yeah, I mean, well, see, the thing is the burden that, that you shoulder with a claim like that is that you're going to have to show some kind of like a contradiction. So that's why I asked what modality. If you're talking about logical modality, then it's going to be something like, well, you know, um, there's a contradiction in a world in which there is no prime mover, right? Yeah, there's and no prime mover. What that contradiction would be? Yeah, there's no prime mover. You would have to say that things can move themselves from potency to act, right? Which would basically mean things can be the cause of their own being or their own actuality, which would just be a contradiction, because then that would presuppose that it's uh, actual prior to being actual, basically. And that would be the contradiction. That would be the NIA. So yeah. that's why a prime mover is necessary. Wait, what's the contradiction? Sorry. Just the contradiction it. would be that it presupposes 
the thing is actual in the respect that it's not before it's actualized. So, for example, uh, let's say you have train, okay, you have a bunch of cars, but you don't have an engine to move those cars. And we're just saying we, we observe motion in these cars. The contradiction is that you have nothing to move the cars. And so the cars have to have actuality, like motion from themselves. But we know that they're derivative. Right? Something that's derivatively actual cannot be actual in itself. It has to derive it from another. That would be the contradiction. Okay. Uh, real quick, guys. I'm going to have to go, and I'm not sad because <laughs> this is tough. Uh, Chris, would you like to stay and deal with this, or um, yes. I, I'm going to have to run? You would? No, I, okay. I always oh. enjoy when um, when our, our young crowd is here, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let them uh, go at it for a while. Okay, so Chris, you have fun, and um, I would say we can hand wave all this stuff and uh, repent and believe the gospel. Um, and uh, let the pieces fall where they will. Anyways, have fun talking, and uh, I guess we'll see you later, and uh, have fun, Chris. Yeah, Cheers, Nate. Nate. <laughs> Cheers, Michael. And hey, Yvette, I, I didn't get to say hi to you. Good, uh, good yeah. day, Yvette. Yeah, continue. Dang, I wanted to I, ask I think, him uh, about simplicity. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, think something, I think something you said was interesting when you talked about, you know, there has to be something. So, um... I, Who's talking? Can I give you? Can I give you a syllogism? Wait, who's talking? 